Welcome to the Aggressive Life. This is Brian Tom. You've come to the podcast. It's about getting you off your rumpus, getting your rearus in gearus, stopping the rationalization, stopping the passive waiting for things to get better. No, we're here about recognize you got one life and you've got one day, two day, and it's really a great idea to go after today and do something instead of just wait for something. That's what the aggressive life is about today. And today we're going to do some questions. Yeah, I put on my Instagram feed not long ago, Q&A day, and I got a bunch of your questions came in. Actually, truth be told, I didn't actually read all your questions. The person who helps with this podcast actually did read all the questions. His name is Dirt. Dirt right here in studio with me right now. Dirt compiled these. Dirt, why, why might you say Dirt? Well, his actual name is Caleb, but if you ever saw him, you would say, oh, of course your nickname would be Dirt. The dude's just dirty, man. He's just he's just dirty, just grimy, just he's always got to shave. Always he's just dirty. He he never wears shoes. Never. Cuz he thinks that open toes are best. So his just imagine the toe jam in between his never Never, I, although I don't know, dirt. If you're not wearing shoes, I guess you, you guess you never get toe jam. That's like sock things, right? That's true. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, dirt compiled all these. I haven't read these. I'm just looking at them right now. We've got a bunch of sections here: summer, relationships, faith, parenting, career, health slash wellness. I don't know that I'm a authority on any of these, but you asked me, so I will I will answer. So let's just let's just go in the summer section. The very first bullet point, these are a lot of questions, by the way, boys and girls. I'm not getting getting to all these, but I'll just do some of the ones that are interesting. So here's one. Favorite summer beer or mixed drink? All right. The key word here is summer. Our family has a tradition of a drink. It's called strip and go naked. And strip and go naked. It's called strip and go naked because if you do too many of them, you will strip and you will go naked and it will be in public and you will be humiliated. So strip and go naked. And the reason is they, they sneak up on you. Here's what it is. You take, get one of those frozen limeade things, right? Uh, just out of the grocery store. You take that frozen limeade, put the whole thing into a you know a blender or a pitcher. Pitcher's fine. And then you take that, that empty uh, can there and you fill it up with vodka and pour that in. And then you fill up four beers and you pour that in. And then you put a bunch of ice in there and you swirl it up. And then you take it down to wherever you're going, the creek side, the pool side, the lake side, whatever it is. And, and there it is. So that, that's, that, that's a favorite. Don't do it that often. But strip and go naked gets the job done. Vacation, beach or the mountains, somebody asked. I take mountains any day. I think beach was great when you had little kids who couldn't do anything, just stick them in the beach and let them get sand up their orifices and cry and scream. But you can't hear them cry and scream because the, the waves are lapping against and you can't hear them. Fine, kids crying and screaming. Guess what? The mother nature is winning and you get to cry and scream and deal with it. We all had to deal with it when we were two years old. So when they're little kids, beach is great, but we found as they get older, Mountains or lakes are are far, far superior. What are my summer plans? Someone asks. As of now, as this is releasing, I am in the midst of my summer. I'm taking a summer break. I am worn slap out. It has been an exhausting and excruciating last 18 months. It has for all of us. It's been very, very difficult for all of us, not just dealing with all the uncertainties and debates around COVID stuff, but when you lead something, you're right in the middle of all of our nation's 
hot topics and nobody's ever happy about what you say or what you don't say. No one ever says, boy, you really put that well or you're doing the right thing. They want you to do something different or don't want to do anything at all or say something different or whatever. It has been just so tough leading an organization and a bunch of people who all have opinions about what you should do about COVID, all have opinions about what should be happening with race, all have opinions about politics. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a tough, tough run. So I am taking a break. I mean, break, 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 break. I'm taking three weeks overlanding with my wife, camping for three weeks in Washington and Oregon, going from the top of Washington to the bottom of Oregon, me, Lib, and Peanuts. I'm going to uh, spend a lot of time at home, some water around the house, someplace, someplace, just hanging out at a pool someplace. I'm going to uh, do a bike trip for a week, and I'm going to also try to uh, rent something on a lake and, and get a boat out in the water. So that, that's kind of what I'm doing, and I'm planning on doing a lot of reading, a lot of um, thinking, and a lot of resting for the next run. So that's me. That's what I'm doing. Uh, someone says, hey, advice to not get lazy over the summer months. And this is a weird thing. You wouldn't expect being told this on The Aggressive Life. I think it's fine to be lazy over the summer months. Being aggressive means you are intentional. And if you are intentional, intentionally lazy, that actually can be very restorative. I've gone down to Norris Lake, Tennessee the last uh, several years for you know, two or three weeks, sometimes a month at a time. I've, I've stayed at a friend's house down there. And when I'm down there, uh, there's not much of a workout that's happening. There's workout equipment. The guy has his basements, but I'm not I'm not hitting it like I do when I'm back home. Uh, and there's a, a, a lot more consumption of calories in all forms than there is when I'm at home. And I am stunned when I get home how frequently someone says, have you lost weight? Or have you bulked up as in muscular bulked up? It happens every year. And really what I think has happened is psychologically, I'm shutting the circuits down and my body is able to restore itself and I'm not under stress. So I'm consuming calories that I actually put in my body at at a more efficient rate. And my muscles actually grow when I'm not working out. It's weird. I know it it doesn't make any sense, but I'm telling you that's the restorative effect of rest. So if you intentionally are going to be lazy over the summer for a season, for a purpose, I think that's going to be okay. So that's what I'm looking forward to this summer. Let's talk relationships. That's the next one, relationships. How do you handle demasculinization of the world? Thoughts on toxic masculinity. I, I'm confused about toxic masculinity. What, what is toxic masculinity? For many people, toxic masculinity is just stereotypical masculinity. If you have a truck and you hunt and you drink beer and you have a job outside of the home, then that's toxic masculinity. You don't have to have a truck. You don't have to have a job outside the home. You don't have to hunt to be a man. But if you do those things, that is not toxic masculinity. What's toxic masculinity is telling you that you have to be a woman. That's what's toxic masculinity. What's toxic masculinity is telling you that you're no different than anybody else. You just do whatever feels right to you. That's what's toxic masculinity. What's toxic masculinity is when you power up on somebody all the time to get your way. 
That's toxic masculinity. And I do believe that there is a movement in our country to strip men away from their manhood. I do believe that it's harder to be a man now than ever before. Men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women, three times more likely to have a mental illness than women, two times more likely to have a serious alcohol-related abuse incident than women. Men are not doing well at all. Part of that is because things that every man has done in every corner of the globe in all of history, we're not doing. We're not building things. We're not fixing things. We're not procreating things. Guys, you have a penis and you can create sperm because you're built to create children. There's a, there's a kind of growth that only comes your way when you have a kid because a kid is the first thing that looks at you and its mere presence says, you must say no to your own desires and you must serve me. <laughs> you can do that with your spouse and we should do that with our spouses. But when we have a kid, we have no choice. We have to get up in the middle of the night to change them and take care of them. We have to figure out our finances or else they will not be fed. We have to deal with our choices, our morality, because we don't want to hand it down to somebody else. We have to constantly do things we don't want to do. Always, always. Now, I know people who are very mature and they're awesome and they've gotten there and they haven't had kids and that's great. I'll just say that's the exception because there's a kind of growing you only do when you're a parent. And as men are more averse to being dads and pushing it off later and later, we're demasculinizing ourselves. That's the kind of demasculization the world isn't talking about that I want to talk about that I'm pretty fired up about. Here's another question. These are so good. Dirt, I'm looking at Dirt, what are you doing? You're giving me these questions. Like I could just preach on these for 45 minutes and you're making me just rapid fire them? So many. Dirt, you devil. Dirt devil, you. Here's another one that Dirt puts on here that you have asked me. These are all your questions. Advice for dealing with mentally ill family members. Is it okay to cut them out completely? Well, we have to know which, which family member completely. If it's your husband or your wife, I would say no. We make a vow where we say in sickness or in health. And when your spouse is in mental illness, guess what? That's the sickness part. Uh, so no, we can't cut our spouse out because of mental illness. We've got to figure out some self-preservation strategies. Um, but no, you can't cut them out. What about some other family member? Can you cut them out? Yes. Yes, you can. Not saying that you should, but yes, you can. You have a responsibility first and foremost to yourself. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. So your ability to love your neighbor is capped on your ability to love yourself. If you are not loving yourself, to a high degree, you will not be able to love your neighbor to a high degree. And you have to love yourself enough to protect yourself. So there are family members that you're going to have to protect yourself against. Gosh, I got this is a weird, I, I've got a, my, my, I have a brother. I haven't talked with my brother for decades. He falls into this category and there's just no good coming out of me talking with my brother. And uh, I haven't talked with them and I protected myself and I protected my family because my family couldn't have me on my game 
if I was trying to rescue him and, and all that stuff. I never talked about that publicly, but hey, you sign up for the aggressive life, so I just made a little, little bit of aggressive move there. If you've got a family member that's hurting your marriage, when you get married, biblically, you leave and cleave. That means you leave all the primacy of all previous relationships, including your mom and your dad, and you bond to your spouse. So if you have a mother or father whose mental illness is hurting your marriage, it's time to either put boundaries or cut them out completely. And you would say, well, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to honor our parents? Yes, we are supposed to honor our parents. And we're also supposed to be the most committed to the one person that we're one with, and that is our spouse. So yes, just because someone is mentally ill doesn't mean they have to have the same relationship in your life. I'm not saying, by the way, if someone comes down with a depression diagnosis, you should stiff arm them. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if someone is manic, you shouldn't be their friend anymore. I'm saying when it comes to you are starting to now lose your sanity and your quality of life is regularly impinged upon and you can't be and do what God wants you to be and do because somebody's monopolizing you who really isn't interested in changing, then yeah, draw some boundaries necessary. How do you manage deal with anger? Let me tell you what I deal with anger. I die. Let me, let me tell you, when I'm angry, I get angry. Actually, I don't, I don't get too, too angry very often. When I do get angry, it always comes down to me being tired. So the best way to manage and deal with your anger is to take care of yourself, take some time off this summer, have a regular Sabbath. The most angry people are the most overworked people. Hey, by the way, let's come to something fun right now. Let me go back to our summer. Here's one. Best road trip soundtrack. Best road trip soundtrack are the songs that you sound hound. That's the best road trip soundtrack. So what I do is I sound hound things or whatever your listening app is uh, all year long. And then at the end of the year, I go, oh, I need to go and like those songs on Spotify, download those, and I make a new fresh playlist. So I'm about ready to do that uh, Do that right now. But I tell you, like some of those, I, I put on my playlist. Some of them are, are just really great. ones. I'll give you some good ones for your summer uh, soundtrack. I found these are great. One Foot by Walk the Moon is an amazing summer jam tune. One foot in front of the other. It's amazing. I'm just looking at last year's playlist, which some of these songs are old. Here's one. Raise Your Glass by Pink. Oh, my goodness. All pink all the time in the summer. That's a great one. Oldie but goodie. Free Bird by Leonard Skinner. You can't enjoy the summer without Free Bird and Leonard Skinner. Not possible. How about how about The Long Way Round by The Chicks, formerly known as Dixie Chicks? Can I even say formerly known as Dixie Chicks? I hope that's not racist. Formerly currently known as The Chicks, The Long Way Round. But here's the one, man. Here's the song. Like this song, most songs always get old. This song here has not gotten old for years. Years. It is Josh Turner's Hometown Girl. Oh, my goodness. Couldn't hide her beauty with a baseball cap. Couldn't help but shine with a heart like that. New York called when she turned 21, but she never forgot where she came from. I need a little bit of homegrown hometown girl. It's awesome. It's amazing. So there's your tip for the day. Let's get back to more important things, relationships, like the one with your hometown girl, perhaps. What are your strategies for dealing with difficult people? 
First step, ignore them. That's the first step. Ignore them and ignore why they're difficult. If that doesn't do it or they won't go away or the problem still persists, you, you, you have to tell them that. You have to figure out, you have to tell them what makes them difficult. I know this sounds really weird, but this is aggressive life. You can tell people outages in their character. You can do that. I've, I've said to friends of mine, things like, man, you need, you need to give other people a chance to talk. I've, I've said to friends of mine before, I, I never, I never know what I'm getting with you. You're, you're very emotionally driven and you're very unpredictable. And I don't, it's hard to be your friend in that situation. I've, I've told people in my family, I can't have you do this or come here because you do these various behaviors and, it, and it's not good. You, you have to, you have to tell people not having a, a, a judgment session where you just slam them, but you have to articulate, this is what's getting in the way of me wanting to be around you and you being a healthy person. Yeah. You just tell them that. And the next time they do it, you say, I told you this before. Now, if this continues, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to modify my time with you. We have to talk about these things. Uh, and, and you can, you can do that. Here's one. Crossroads has turned into a church for men and outdoorsy people only. Thoughts? My thoughts are that you think that's the case, but that's not the case. Uh, Crossroads is the church I lead, very thankful to lead it, started the church 25 years ago. Um, this is a very common misperception. The majority of people who come to Crossroads are women. The majority of people I talk to at Crossroads actually don't camp. But so, but it's it's not what Crossroads is all about. The majority of Crossroads money, in fact, I don't even, there's not a dime of Crossroads budget that goes into that goes into camping or camps. All those camps actually pay for themselves: man camp, woman camp, couples camp, vet camp, all that kind of stuff. So, well, here's what happens. I th I think with this, I think what happens with this is people are not used to hearing a masculine voice in churches. They're not used to seeing churches reach a different kind of person. People are used to churches reaching theologians, churches reaching emotionally driven people, churches reaching people who like music and raising your hand in the air. All of that is fine, by the way. We, we have all those kind of folks at the church I lead, but people are not used to seeing a church try to hit a different gear to reach a different man or woman or to help a different person who might appreciate the outside. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know, God's pro camping. He's pro outdoors. It's called creation. And uh, we need to get more people into it. And we have as many problems as we do right now because we're not getting out into nature. So that's a perception, but it's, it's a perception, but it's, it's, it's really not reality um, in, my, in my opinion. Tips on dating an insecure man. Truth is, ladies, just about all of us men are way more insecure than we give ourselves credit for. And almost always this is due to us lacking a father figure who has told us that he's proud of us. Uh, you can debate why that is. It is, just is what it is. I spend time with tens of thousands of guys and I'm telling you the difference between a man who has a strong dad and the dad has looked at him and said, son, I'm proud of you. You've done well. There's a difference between that guy and another guy. I'm not saying that you can't be secure if you haven't been told that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when you're not told that by a father figure you respect, insecurity is something that is a very common thing. 
when you're dating someone who hasn't had this affirmation and isn't operating from a place of security, you're going to have to spend extra amounts of time building him up and complimenting him. And no, you don't worry about, oh, I, you, don't, you don't get, I don't want him to get a big head. I actually heard a, uh, a friend of mine, a wife, she talked about a friend of mine, her husband. She said, well, that's my job is to, is, is to keep his head small. That's my job to keep him from getting too high on himself. That's my job, exact quote. And I immediately said, sorry, that is not your job. <laughs> your job is not to keep him in his place. Your job is not to keep him having a, 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 you know, a low self-esteem. Your job is not to keep him from feeling good about his accomplishments. That's not, because everyone in the world's doing that. Your job as a husband, your job as a wife is to build your spouse up. And so you're going to have to build up that guy you're dating. And if you find that the payoff isn't worth it, you're having to do it too much for what you're getting in return, that's why it's called dating. Don't date him. Move on. Taking a quick break here to let you know that my latest book, Move, is out right now. This isn't like any other devotional book, at least none that I've read. It's full of the things I always find myself talking to guys about around the campfire or if we're having a couple beers or on the back deck. We've added 22% new content to this devotional from an, a previous version that was self-published. So even if you own the original, there's a lot of new stuff in here. Get your copy on Amazon today. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review it. It actually helps us drive new listeners to the show. I think we might have been a help to you and we want to help be a help to as many people as possible. Uh, speaking of being a help, let's get back to it. Let's talk about let's talk about faith. Uh, let's talk about a bible question starting off here. A person says, um, what is your response to 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over men. They must keep quiet. This is one of the translations, or not translation, this is one of the verses used to say that therefore women shouldn't have a leadership position. Uh, they shouldn't speak. I think it's an important passage. I respect anybody who has the belief that a woman shouldn't preach and a woman shouldn't be a leader in a church. Let me tell you why I respect anybody who has that belief. I respect that because that's a person who's trying to honor the word of God. The Bible has been around longer than any other book in the history of the world. It's been more criticized, more scrutinized. It's had more PBS specials written to defame the Bible than anything else. You never see scholars, critics, PBS, whoever coming out and slamming the Quran or any of those things. But man, it's the Bible is always front and center and it's standing and it's thriving and people are reading. Why? Because it's the word of God and it freaking works. That's why. So do all you want. I don't like it. Do all you want. It works. All you want. Well, that's just your translation. Whenever someone says, well, that's just your translation, what they're saying is, you believe something about the Bible that you don't like or that I don't like. So I'll just find a tra different translation. Well, it's just your interpretation. Sometimes it's my interpretation. Sometimes, no, that's just what the Bible says. So for those who say, hey, I can't have a woman in leadership in my church because the Bible says that, I go, hey, I respect you. I respect you on that. And I would also differ with you. I don't, I think this is a cultural, I think it's a cultural verse for people in a specific time period. Uh, 
I think it was the way they were ordering their church services. I think it was the way they set up how they would sit in church. I think it was the cultural expectation of the day that women just talking up in church was would have just been a, a match, massive, massive distraction in that day. I don't think that's the way it is today. I don't think Lydia, who is a key benefactor and a leader, by the way, in the New Testament church, who sold purple cloth, I, 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 I she was a leader. Wait, wait, we're saying we can lead in a business, but we can't lead in the church that we're in? I've served in churches for a long, long time in senior leadership. And I'll just tell you, of the thousands of people I've served with in leadership, I will definitively say men are not more qualified to be a leader or a teacher than are women simply because they have gonads. It's just not the truth. So I think these are cultural things that are happening here. I think the the entire course of the Bible from the beginning to the end is a never-ending upward arc of women getting more and more empowerment. And there is such a thing as progressive revelation in the Bible where God progressively reveals things over time. He doesn't start in Genesis 1 and boom, just drop everything on us. He progressively reveals things over time. The doctrine of the Trinity isn't progressively revealed until on into maybe the book of Matthew where Jesus is actually baptized and we see that we have the Father who's saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, which is why Jesus was so powerful. He was an affirmed male. The Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus, who's the son of God, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. We have the entire Trinity there, right there. And we have it also mirrored in Genesis 1, but it's not as full and clear as it is there. And it's even not as full and clear as it is until Romans Five books later in the New Testament where the doctrine of the Trinity is really spelled out. So when we talk about women, I think that the same thing happens. We've got, we got Deborah in the Old Testament, who is an absolutely a leader of the nation of Israel. If women aren't supposed to be leaders, why in the world is Deborah in the book of Judges a leader? And it doesn't ever say anywhere just because no other man would, okay, Deborah had to. It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't have an asterisk that says that Deborah was less than relative to Gideon. No, she was a leader. And we have this little hint here that, okay, this is kind of the heart of God. I think it was also the case where we have Jesus who had people in, a, in his discipleship core who were women, not his 12, but we have women around him. So I, uh, I, I, I believe that women can and are qualified to teach, or at least that their gender doesn't disqualify them from that. That's probably a deeper dive than some of you would like and not as deep of a dive as others would like. Hi, it's a question. What are your thoughts about deconstruction and trying to separate out the toxic aspects of faith? Deconstruction is a huge thing that's happening in Christendom right now. People are deconstructing their faith. And here's generally what's happening. Here's a profile of somebody who had faith at one point, who had Christian faith, and now doesn't have faith, or they're deconstructing their faith. Not all these things are true, but normal they are. One, we have somebody who grew up in a very restrictive faith culture, where they were just told to believe things because that's what you should believe. Very restrictive. So they didn't come to their faith in and of their own mind, they did have it drilled into them. And there's a healthy thing about that as parents. We should be passing on our faith to our kids and, and building up our kids in the faith. But there's a line between that and being in a place where you have really an unhealthy family structure and 
some extreme religious practices. What do I mean by extreme religious practice? I think it's in the extremities. When you're a kid who grows up in a pastor's home, who goes to a private Christian school, who goes to Sunday school, who goes to uh, Sunday worship, who goes to Wednesday night prayer meetings, who goes to youth group, who goes to youth group Bible study, that's just one week, who has Bible memory verses. Sorry, that's too much. I'm not saying that's too much God. I'm saying that's too much religious structure. And so when someone has that kind of structure, eventually they're going to chafe. So you take someone who has that kind of background, and then you add in later in life either A, a level of pain, and you've been told all your life that if you do the right things, you memorize the right Bible Bible verses, then things are going to be okay for you because God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And all of a sudden, when your life isn't wonderful, you question whether or not God loves you. And actually, even, is there a God at all who loves me? And this pushes on your faith buttons or, or... You just are in culture and you remove yourself from Christian community and you recognize uh, American culture is incredibly hostile to the faith right now. And so you're just around normal people in the world and it's going to cause you to regret it. You're around people who are on the right, you're going to doubt everything on the left. You're around people on the left incessantly, you're going to doubt people on the right. And so we have a lot of folks who are now deconstructing their faith. And I think the better term that I'm using these days is instead of deconstructing their faith, and basically what that means is I got to get to a place where I take everything out of my faith that makes me uncomfortable. And I actually have to be very skeptical of anything. Wow, Jesus, did he actually never sin? Maybe he was just a normal guy. I, I deconstruct it. And what you're left with is really no faith at all. You're just left with a veneer of spirituality that had, had its foundations in Christianity, but there's no live, breathing, vibrant relationship with God. You're not, you're not laying your hands on people and praying for them and seeing healing, which I and others have seen. You're not, you're not, you're not having massive bitterness come to you and realizing I gotta deal with this bitterness because it's personal to Jesus and I've gotta get over this bitterness. I gotta forgive my enemies. You're not, you're not dealing with those kind of things because you've deconstructed your faith. Um, so instead of deconstructing our faith, I think what we need to do is deculturalize our faith. Some of us cannot separate the Christian culture we're a part of from the faith that we say we believe. The Christian culture of no drinking and no tobacco and no contemporary music and no PG-13 movies or no R movies, but by, by the way, that faith is nowhere mentioned in the Bible, and that faith is not central to the faith. That's a culture. And we've been growing up in a culture that is so anti-things that are fun or anti-things that make sense, we can't separate the culture from the faith, and we start deconstructing our faith instead of recognizing, well, maybe I just had some weird culturalization issues that I, those are things I need to crush and get away. Okay, and speaking of that, someone has a question here that Dirk just pointed out to me under the parenting session. Someone says, my 14-year-old son just told me he doesn't believe in God. What's my next move? What's my advice to guide him back? Your next move is to evaluate the culture of your family. When a 14-year-old says that, 
he's generally not coming to a eureka moment that the resurrection of Christ didn't happen. He's generally rebelling against the culture of your family, or he's wanting more the culture of his friends who happen to be hostile to faith. I think your next move is to look at the culture of your family and your relationship with him and just make sure it's as healthy and as fun-loving as possible. I've heard it said that families that pray together stay together. That may be true, but I believe even more that families that play together stay together. There are people who will reject the faith of their parents. But I've seen again and again, and I believe very, 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 very strongly, when a child can't explain away their mom or their dad, they can't explain away their mom's dad, their mom's faith, it's only a matter of time until they come back. If you have a genuine abiding relationship with Jesus and they see you on your knees from time to time, not forcing people to go on your knees, but they see, they, they walk by a bedroom door and they see you of your own volition on your knees when you weren't planning on being seen. When they see you go back and make a bill right because you got too much change and you want to return and think about it. When, when they see you tithe, give 10% to the work of your local church and you have sacrifices that you make inside of your family. I remember my kids, I couldn't afford to give and, um, and do the things that other families did. We talk about our family. They, my kids would, they would sit on the stoop. We, 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 we had a house that was right beside an apartment building and they would sit on the landing of our uh, house steps, looking through our window into the window of the apartment that had cable watching TV because we couldn't afford to have cable. <laughs> now you would think that would have scarred them. You would have think that would have meant that they would want to abandon Christianity. No, because the whole list, holistically our family was fun. And what they saw was, wow, mom and dad, they really ordered their finances according to Jesus' standards, or at least that's what they're trying to do. They saw Lib and I walk with Christ. And so if our kids had all, if they had problems with their faith, if they, you know, run away and done the party scene, yes, to one degree or another, all, all the three have, but they're all walking close with Christ. You got to play the long game as a parent, the long game. Don't be freaked out by what your 14-year-old says. It's okay to be freaked out by what your 30-year-old is now doing and has been doing maybe for 10 years, that's maybe a time to get freaked out, but don't overreact. Love your kid. Love your son. Have some fun with them. Here's another crazy idea. Yeah. Oh, am I going to lose my preacher card for this? I'm a firm believer that kids have got to have freedoms inside the house. We had a we had a drinking age inside of our house that was 18. You were 18. You could drink inside. Actually, it was 18 for my first two kids. I think for my my third kid, I think Mariah, we cranked it down to 16. You want to have wine, you want to, want to drink drink some beers, whatever. Hey, wait, well, you're, you're, you're in the house, you're on the family, and, uh, and you can do that. I'll tell, you what that I'll tell you what that does. Number one, that demystifies alcohol to where it doesn't have a power anymore. It's not like this hidden secretive thing. Uh, number two, I don't have to escape in a field somewhere to check out alcohol like I had to do all through high school. And number three, what it does, number three, what it does, it gives you and your child something to do that's really new and really weird and really mind-blowing. And they don't, 
accuse you of being a prude anymore. They don't think that your faith means that, you know, you can't have a beer. Now, if you're an alcoholic, you can't have a beer. And I'm not telling you to change your stance on alcohol. I'm not. For a lot of people, it's not good to have a beer or alcohol at all. But if you're okay having a glass of wine um, and you're okay drilling into your kids, no drinking, no fake IDs until you're 21, which I did, and which, by the way, I'm not sure any of them ultimately obeyed that in college, but that decision was between me and God. I had to leave their decision between them and God. But ultimately, what I was playing for was them being one with God and our the preservation of our relationship. That's what you're playing for. Um, and think that as you parent your child of 14. All right. Okay, I got to start going quicker here. Uh, come down to the end. I'm just going to go rapid fire on some, some things. Christianity seems to teach that suicide equals automatic hell. Do you agree? No. We are not judged according to our last act on earth. No. I will say, however, there is a positive aspect to believing that suicide means you automatically go to hell, and that is you're less likely to commit suicide. I think we're having increased suicides in large part because we're not concerned about hell anymore, and we should be. But no, I do not believe that suicide means automatic hell at all. Here's another one for us. Why do you think that the vaccine is so politicized? The vaccine is so politicized because people on the right, specifically Christians on the right, are tired of being told what to do. Christians on the right are tired of being told that your sexual ethics are weird and you're out of, you're out of step and you're a hater if you don't approve of what everybody else does sexually. Christians are tired of being told that they're haters. They're tired of being told you can't do this. You have, they're tired of being told you can't, you can't gather for church, even though you used to gather when leprosy was a big deal. By the way, I, I lead a church that chose not to gather for a while during COVID. I'm just talking for the average rank and file Christian who's on the right. They're tired of it. They're tired of being belittled, tired of having their faith mocked, their beliefs mocked, being told you can't do this or being told you have to do that. They're just tired of it. So finally, it comes to a place where now they're being told, and now you have to stick something in your arm. Now you have to, now you have to get vaccinated, and they're just going, no, I'm not going to do it. They're not necessarily anti-science, though some of them are. I scratch my head at that. The vaccine's a great idea. I'll just go on record. It's a great idea. Just get it. But not everyone who's choosing not to get it is anti-science or even fearful for a lot of folks. And they don't even know this is the base motivation. The base motivation is I'm just drawing a line to stand and I'm saying I'm sick of people telling me what I have to do. I'm sick of people telling me what I have to believe. I'm, I'm sick of the machine that keeps trying to take more and more of my life and control it. And so when it comes to someone sticking something in my body, if a woman can be pro-choice, I'm going to be pro-choice and I choose not to have the vaccine. That's the story behind the story of why the evangelical community is not more receptive to the vaccine. So, all right, that's it, boys and girls. I think that we're done. We're going to, we're going to take the next week off, but we're not going to go away this summer. In fact, we've got something brand new planned for you. Be sure to come back on July 6th for a month of something you never heard on the podcast. Yes, you've never heard on the podcast. Are you intrigued? Good. And until then, keep living the aggressive life. Hey, thanks for listening. 
For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.